Welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Hi Marjorie. Hey Claire, how are you? I'm good, it's June. It's June, we've almost made it. And it's birthday month and it's school sports day month and it's everything that could possibly happen in one month. Month, can't wait. Exactly, and then break up for the summer holidays. What do you think our record of how many cakes we can make in the month of June has been? with all the parties and the, yeah, well, at least in my house, there's an awful lot of cake baking and partying. I know, but you can't have too many cakes, so. No, well, tell me that by the time I get to July and I definitely think we've had too many cakes. So, but luckily the weather's good and we can be out running it off and doing all those fun, sporty things with the kids as well. But they're, now that they get bigger, they go away to do all their sporty things. We have adventure weeks and activity weeks and all those sorts of things. And we don't get to run the mummies race anymore. <laughs> can't say I miss running the mummies race. Oh, go on. Maybe we should have our own personal mummies race. What do you think? I'll be the starter. <laughs> Can I be the cheerleader? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that counts, does it? I remember one mummies race in particular where they put, they asked you to take your shoes off and they put them all in a pile at one end of the field and you had to run to the shoes and find your shoes and put them back on and then run back, which was very funny because, you know, some of the mummies, it turns out, were much more competitive than others of the mummies. There's a good sabotage opportunity in that. (laughs) Chuck the shoes of the fastest mummy further down the line. Or a lesson, don't have lace-up shoes on um, Mummy's Race Day. I remember I once tied for Mummy's, or I probably won it. There was It was a photo finish. And given that I was, I know I'm a big runner now, but back then I was not a runner, shall we say. I was the most unlikely candidate, but the super competitive Mummy was furious that I had... <laughs> even come close to winning and she demanded a photo finish when it was procured guess who was the winner i don't know about your kids though but mine no no longer want me at sports day like they're quite happily once they get into senior school there's not very much you know standing on the sidelines cheering whereas when they were in primary school if you weren't there they would be mortally wounded Exactly. And now that when I think from about the age of 14, I'd say, or 13, you kind of have to ask permission to go to stuff like, can I come and watch you do this? Because if you turn up uninvited, good luck to you that night. So luckily mine usually say yes, but sometimes they say, oh, don't come. It's just going to be boring or we're going to get slaughtered or I'm not going to get much game time or whatever. But yeah, it's a real change from being demanded that you're there to having to ask permission. But all this chat of sports days is a a great introduction for the story that we have to read, Tom Murray's The Race. Yeah, and it fits in perfectly in our June theme across Open Book, which is winning. Now, I should just say before we read the story, you don't have to be for winning. I'm not really a person who is desperately keen to win things although when it comes to cards you might find that's different but generally I don't want to win sporting things so discuss amongst yourselves whether winning is a good thing or even the wanting to win is a good thing and you can win in lots of different ways as well as I always told my child who particularly appeared with the sticker for taking part yeah exactly but anyway we look forward to hearing what you all make of the theme of winning will I crack on into Tom's story yeah do The Race by Tom Murray It happened on the Wednesday, school activities day. Bobby had been feeling good, top of the world in fact. He was where he was meant to be, he was sure of it. Black top and shorts, stretching his legs like he'd seen all the sprinters do on the TV before the big race. This was his 100 metres Olympic final. 
Bobby had always been good at running, though sometimes there was a nag working its way forward from the back of his mind. Did he really like it? With a stretch and a touch at his toes, the thought was gone. He was good, and that's what mattered. All through primary, from P1 to P7, it had been ready, steady, go, and Bobby always the first one out the blocks and halfway home before the rest even got started. When he'd started high school, he'd put his name down for athletics for his Wednesday activity and couldn't believe it when the teachers had put him in with the rugby mob. He hated rugby. He was too small and skinny, and every time somebody threw the funny-shaped ball at him, he stared at it too long, amazed that he'd even caught the thing. And before he knew it, one or more of the muscular monsters had flattened him deep into the mud of the rugby pitch. Three bruised ribs and one smashed nose later, they had given up on him and handed him over to the athletics crowd. He felt that he'd come home. On that dry Wednesday, stretching, bobbing up and down and giving a sideways glance at his opponents, it was amazing how his bruised ribs didn't seem so bruised. His smashed nose sniffed with joy the newly cut grass as he pawed at it like a bull, getting ready to charge. The ground was summer-baked, and the air hazy, the finishing line like some desert mirage, another teacher shimmering in the sun, ready to declare winner. It was a foregone conclusion. He was sure of it. No other outcome possible. His hands felt sweaty and shook slightly, but no one else noticed. He was nervous. He was never nervous. Why was he nervous? The teacher called, ready, and put his whistle to his lips. Bobby closed his eyes and prepared himself. Nerves were good, he told himself. Maybe he had been nervous in the past and hadn't noticed. That would be it. Then steady, the whistle touching at his lips now, and then the ear-splitting blast, and Bobby was off and running, eyes focused, feeling his bones shudder and shake as his feet pounded off the hard, unforgiving grass. He felt pulled towards the finishing line, just like all those years in primary. Things were going to be okay. That twinge of doubt at the start fell away with a sweat as he ran, smile growing as the finishing line came into focus. He would make it through high school. And then it happened. Another boy, at first indistinct, a fleck in the corner of Bobby's eyes, but growing larger and larger like some monstrous shadow, and the noise in Bobby's ears as the ground seemed to shake as the boy, an inch away from Bobby's shoulder, passed him and started to pull away. The finishing line, which it seemed clear now, began to haze like a camera out of focus. Bobby tightened his hands into fists so much that his nails dug into his flesh. His teeth ground into each other as the smile fell away. Bobby willed every bit of muscle in his body to work the hardest they have ever worked to catch the boy. And that was the thing afterwards, when Bobby had stumbled over the finishing line and tripped over his own feet to tumble onto the harsh grass, when he tried to drag the breath up from his lungs. His muscles had obeyed. They had worked the hardest they had ever worked. If they were machinery, the squealing of gears and the steam and sparks from metal crashing against metal would have been heard for miles around. Shall we stop there? Yeah, let's. We'll just leave him panting in the grass for a second. 
I recognise that feeling, though, of being nervous about the sporting event that's about to come. And then as soon as you start doing what you do, not to be nervous anymore. I think it's not even just sports. You know, it's lots of things. I recognise it from reading in front of an audience. I remember someone saying to me who was the director of a really large festival, if you come across someone who doesn't have any nerves at all before going on stage, there's something wrong. Because <laughs> the nerves really help. It makes you realise that what you're about to do is important in some way. But I do, I recognise that thing that feeling a little funny about going out and then once you get into the stream of things, you're okay. I don't know whether the body or the mind kind of suddenly recognises what it's about to do or knows that it's been there before or something. Yeah, I have a slightly different experience than when I'm, when I'm playing flute and I'm having to perform and that you know, have that nervousness beforehand and then I'll start playing and I'll be fine for the first little while and then I'll just get another massive wave of nerves and adrenaline as I realise what I'm actually doing halfway through the activity, which I just don't get from playing sport. I would have the nervousness beforehand, but it would completely dissipate. But I wonder if, you know, the flute is something that I've done more recently as an adult, whereas the sort of sporting competition is something I've always done. I wonder if there's a difference. I wonder too whether sometimes if you know the thing you're doing so well, you can almost step out from yourself and see what you're up to. So like, I think of that when I was first reading poems in front of audiences, I you know, I knew the thing so well that I was able to almost step out and look at the audience and see them there. And then I would feel the kind of enormity of what I was doing, which obviously wasn't very enormous looking back. It was me standing in front of a microphone in some pub somewhere. But, you know, I, I suddenly would realize that everybody was looking at me, which of course they were doing because that's what I was there to do. But something about, and luckily for me, that feeling has gone. But something about playing sport means you have to keep your eye on what's going on or you're going to lose or you can't you don't really have the opportunity to step away from yourself and observe I think probably in matches or at least in this race for Bobby you know he's so sort of focused on his body and everything working the way it needs to and pushing hard in a race that you wouldn't really have time to watch the spectators or even notice that someone was gaining on you although my sense is that athletes must have to keep an eye out for competition surely yeah, and I think he says, doesn't he? He talks about the indistinct fleck in the corner of his eye, like a, growing as a monstrous shadow, and the ground seemed to shake. Yeah, whereas I suspect the people that you're watching on the telly doing this have a much more honed sense of who's coming up behind them, in a way. And, and, and I suspect for some people, that would be motivation, right? Like seeing someone coming up behind you is real motivation. In the same way that if you're running, trying to catch someone is motivation, I think. Although that works the other way around. For me, it's the opposite. If someone's running in front of me, I just want to stop. I just want it to be over. Whereas if I'm running on my own, I can run forever, or maybe not forever at the moment. But you know, I can run and run and run. But as soon as someone's running in front of me and I feel like I'm supposed to be pacing or keeping up it just makes me want to quit so I think I must be missing that gene or I've got the other gene I wonder too if nervousness the nervousness somehow comes from knowing that the competition is different you know that he moved up into a bigger different category of people and just not letting himself see that you know because it's totally a different thing to be good at running at primary than to be good at running in a senior school I would think he seems to be aware of it, though, because he does say as he is running, the line is he would make it through high school. Just well, there seems to be a, a sort of a sense of you have to be known for something to be okay. And I love it in the sense that it's such good writing because I recognize that feeling like, yeah, as you say, if you're good at something, you're going to be okay. And then as an adult, I now worry about that line because 
of course you don't have to be good at anything you know of course you just have to survive high school a lot of the time and learn stuff and kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like and that kind of takes me into another question I have which is I really recognize this kind of pushing people not just kids into the things that they're good at without the question of but do I enjoy it you know just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to it's a difficult one, isn't it, though, because there are things in life that you have to do whether you want to or not. And so there is a sort of discipline and a practice that is not a bad thing. Occasionally to have to do something, you know, get through it and find out, well, you might not have wanted to do it, but actually it was fine and you've done it now sort of thing. Yeah, and I think those things are actually better and more important. So let's take, in my family, the piano practice. I'll never regret making my kids do a bit of piano, even if they didn't show particular aptitude towards an instrument or whatever I think as you say the kind of the act of practice and working at something is itself often the experience so I think back to law school for example sounds like a tangent but it isn't you know I think law school teaches you not necessarily about the law but how to find the answers to questions to ask what questions to ask and how to go about discovering the answers and so in the same way I think you know practicing an instrument isn't necessarily always about learning to play the instrument but just learning how to practice learning how to just keep going at something the difference I think is doing things that you can do with real ease just because you can but not because you love it and so I think often if a child's good at a sport or good at a subject the natural thing would be just to do those things because those are the ones that come without too much effort and in fact I think what you're saying is and I think increasingly as parents we're much better now about rewarding the effort rather than the results of something so I'd love to see my kids do more art for example they're all self-proclaimed terrible artists but I think it's a really good thing to even try but they find it incredibly difficult so none of them will really do it but if I had to choose between running art and running races I'm not sure (laughs) which I would do I certainly wouldn't be choosing rugby that's for sure no, I would be going athletics, I think, over. Between art, rugby, and athletics, I think I'd be going. Shall we see where he ends up? Shall I read on? Yeah, I do. He had run till his lungs felt they were about to splinter into a thousand pieces, and he'd still lost. He'd lain there and nodded at his teacher as they gave him the thumbs up and uttered, Good run. He'd lost. He'd lain there as they turned to pat the other boy on the back heard one of them mutter, a star in the making here. He'd lost. He'd lain there letting his breathing slowly return to some sort of normal. Then he'd got to his feet, his legs shaking, and he joined the rest of his class as they trudged back to school. He'd lost. It had taken him a full week to think and try not to think of the race before his mind began to calm. A teacher had asked him why he hadn't put his name down for the athletics for that week's school activities day. Coming in second isn't that bad, the teacher had said. I don't like running, Bobby had replied. And the answer had taken him as much by surprise as the teacher. Okay, what do you like then, asked the teacher. I don't know yet. Bobby had replied. Walking away, Bobby wondered if he had really lost. Mm, Interesting end to that one. I worry that he's decided he doesn't like it because he lost. You know, that what he liked was winning rather than the running. Although there was a bit earlier where he said something about he didn't feel like he necessarily liked it. He wasn't sure he liked it. Yeah, he wasn't sure he liked it. But he was good at it. 
I do recognize the idea of wanting to be the winner rather than wanting to do the thing. And the lure of that is being the winner. As, as his parent, I would have been saying, no, nah, give it a season. Because the worry is that he's quit because he's not going to have be the winner anymore. And, you know, that whole thing of needing to be part of a team, you know, every team doesn't need just one runner. It needs a gang of people who can work together and do relays and all the rest of it. So I'm not sure I would let or want a kid to quit after one race because they hadn't won it for the first time. And especially after the first race, they didn't win. Yeah, I suppose it's that making of the connection, isn't it, between the giving up and the point at which you're giving up. I mean, he's only given himself a week, hasn't he? Between one Wednesday activities day and the next. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like he spent the week thinking, do I really like to run? All he's thinking is, I've lost. I've lost, I've lost. And he's only, it takes him a week to calm down about having lost, which makes me worry that his focus is on winning rather than on running or being part of a team or all those other things. Now, mind you, I don't feel too bad for the school who've moved him from rugby to athletics, but I do think I would be saying, well... It's a team sport and you've got to, they need a second place and you said you would do it, so you'll do it, you know, and give yourself a month and see what happens. Because also you've got to get back on a horse, you know, try again and, and also support your teammates, which is, you know, hard to do, I suppose, at that age or at any age, really. And I suppose as well at this sort of level of running, it feels like a lone individual sport. There's not a sense of a team sport in this story, I don't think. No, but we know how things work at schools and, and we know that when you turn up, you can't just turn up with one runner, you've got to turn up with a crew of them. So, and you know, the reality is you'd be saying to that kid, well, how do you think the third and the fourth and the sixth and the eighth kid felt? So if you turn up saying that's not good enough, I don't want to do it, then everyone will think it's because you want to be best or nothing. And how will that make everybody else feel? Whereas if you turn up and run for a month and you really don't like it, that's different. But quitting after you lose, I think, is probably bad form. Do you think, though, he's discovering he doesn't actually like it? In Maybe. This, when he actually says he doesn't like running, it feels like he says it as a, an excuse not to turn up. I agree, yeah. I think so. I think maybe that's true. But I think I would be... Yes, his mum saying, and you go for another month, and at the end of it, you really don't like running, then so be it. But it's kind of bad sportsmanship, apart from anything else, it's bad sportsmanship to quit after you don't win. But yeah, I, I mean, the hope is that he, it's the start of a period where he starts thinking what, what it is he would like to do. And I think that we get that very strongly in that last line, walking away, Bobby wondered if he had really lost. Meaning he's obviously found something else. Yeah, that's quite a hopeful ending. So it's not that he's lost athletics, but he's actually, you know, realised that what's important is to work out what he does enjoy doing. And it doesn't matter so much whether it's something he's good at or not. It's what he enjoys. Yeah, and also that word yet, I think really matters, implies that he's then going to go looking for the things he really does like. So uh, I was really defensive of him until he quit after he won. <laughs> <laughs> it's not but your someone, style. <laughs> no, it isn't. But also, you know, as someone who doesn't care about winning, um, I was notorious as a child for like trying to even the score with opponents so that we wouldn't win so well because I just used to always feel so bad or I would slow down and run just before the last kid so they would feel like they didn't loot, like be, come in last so badly. Or, you know, if we were playing football as kids, I would practically score our own goals just to even up the score a little bit more because I just felt terrible when we were winning 12-0 or whatever. So you can tell out there if there's ever a sport opportunity, you do not want me on your team. Because you did this score the winning goal in a hockey match, <laughs> a hockey competition that you were playing in with me. Although I have to confess that I think the ball did hit off your stick and go into the goal 
almost unintentionally that day because your eyes were shut at the time. I was terrified. All these people with sticks and really hard balls never played hockey before. It was pouring rain, never going to play it again. I mean, that's my one moment of glory. So quitting after winning is okay. Quitting after losing is not, apparently. Please never ask me to play hockey with you either again, Claire. Here, That's here for the record. I don't care if it's your birthday. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm happy to donate to any cause. I offered to bring the oranges and be the cheerleader. But in future, take me up on that. And I'll cook the supper for everybody when it's done. Let's move on to the poem, which is is Zafar Kunail's absolutely beautiful poem called Us from his collection, his first collection, not his most recent one. Um, his most re recent one's England's Green, but this one is a collection that's also called Us. And I'll give it a read. Us. If you ask me, us takes in undulations, each wave in the sea, all insides compressed, as if from one coast you could reach out to the next. And maybe it's a Midlands thing, but when I was young, us equally meant me, says the one. Oi, you, tell us where you're from. And the way supporters share the one fate, I being one, am Liverpool no less, crusting the Mexican wave of we or us, a shore-like state, two places at once, God knows what's in it. And, at opposite ends, my heart's sunk at separations of us. When it comes to us, color me unsure. Something in me, or it, has failed the course. I'd love to think I could stretch to it, us, but the waves therein are too wide for words. I hope you get here where I'm coming from. I hope you're with me on this, between love and loss, where I'd give myself away, stranded as if the universe is a matter of one stress, us. I hope, from here on, I can say it, and though far-fetched, it won't be too far wrong. I always choke up reading that poem. I find it very moving in the middle. It is very moving. There's so many beautiful phrases and snippets that sort of stop you in your tracks. It's so much about just exploring the idea of the way that we connect with you know, other people. What does us mean? It can mean me as a person if you're from the Midlands, but it also can be you know, the way that we support teams and the way we club together and do things as a group or that kind of not quite mob mentality, but in the best possible way. Um, but then the poem for me turns, which, you know, and that's probably that beginning bit is why I thought it would make a nice connection with Tom's story, that idea of working together as a team and whether you know, what it means to be with other people and be in connection with other people, aiming for the same thing with other people. But then the, the poem turns to, I think, suddenly as a, a kind of relationship or something about a broader question of the way we don't fit in, you know, the way within society, you know, we're not us anymore. And you feel that turn very starkly, I think, in this poem, in a way that it sort of creeps up in you, isn't, doesn't it? Because you're with Zafar and you're understanding the us and you're recognizing the times where you felt felt part of us and then very suddenly you're in a place where us means the opposite of us you know it's on your own yeah and he does it very cleverly because he, he talks about cresting the Mexican wave of we or us and you know I definitely have that kind of sense in my head reading that aloud of that kind of 
inflammation really maybe or excitement um, adrenaline of a sporting thing or something where you're watching with a bunch of people who are also supporting the same team and they score and it's like you know there's a real like not just a genuine Mexican wave going on in the stadium but you know that Mexican wave of emotion and adrenaline and excitement and togetherness yeah, and that feeling of like, okay, we're we're all together, we're doing this thing, and then he flips it right in the very middle of the poem, which is clever, and says, and at opposite ends, my heart sunk at separations of us. And then that line, I don't know whether it's a relationship or whether it's the idea that we are also quite mean to each other as humans. You know, something in me or it has failed the course. We can do both things at once. We can be in unity, and yet we can also be quite separate, as you say, quite separate or quite alone. And, you know, it makes me think about that sort of contradiction between each person being so unique and having their own characteristics and interests and everyone being different. But then at the drop of a hat can identify with a common purpose. Um, And I think he does a great job of really underlining that you can be individual and also part of a group. Yeah, because that experience of us can be so different. It can be what does he say, at two places at once, at opposite ends. But then he does this really clever thing of bringing us together at the end, right? I hope you get it. I hope you're with me on this, which is pulling the reader in with him and suddenly we're part of his us, right? Because we want to be with him. You know, he sucked us in in, a, in the best possible way. I think credibly we're, we're, we're along, we're working with him, we're in the poem with him. And then he says, I hope you're with me on this. I mean, literally that's the writer speaking to the reader. Come with me. I hope you're with me. I hope you're on my side. So of course the answer, I think, it's almost like a rhetorical question. Of course we want to be with him. So suddenly we're in us with him. And he's saying, I'd give myself away. Us. I hope I can say it and it won't be wrong. Which is, you know, I think really interesting. So he's doing that sport, broad thing, then the separation, and then he pulls us in as a reader. And maybe he's showing us in some ways the power of the of writing. And we love this as an open book, right? The power of writing to help us feel like we're connected, that we have in us in the world rather than solitary. And we know the feeling that that creates in our, in our groups. But, um, you know, there also is that feeling of connectedness in writing that when you read something, you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself or that you know someone or you, you know, I know you'll have that same feeling when you read a book that you love. You almost mourn the characters when the book ends because you don't want to let them go. They're like friends. And so I think he's done that here. He's he's given us that feeling that we're with him in some way. And there's also, I I feel, a real humbleness in in the writing. There's a real... Sometimes when I'm reading poetry and it's and it's complex or difficult, or I feel like I'm really working for the poet and I feel set aside from the poet. I feel like I'm looking up to where they're writing from. But I think in this, there's a real sense of, as you say, being with him. He brings us with him. But even that very last line, you know, it won't be too far wrong. There's an acknowledgement that I might not have got it 100% right, but I'll be pretty close. And that for me is an endearing quality. It makes me like him because he's not being didactic or handing down wisdom from on high, as as you said, bringing us with him in the poem. One last thing. I mean, I agree. And I want to say the thing about it is if you've ever seen Zafir Reed and I been lucky I've been lucky enough to chair him a couple of times um he is exactly that kind of person he's incredibly humble and and quite quiet and even though his work is is so lyrical and so like 
genuinely super clever and the longer you look at it the more you see he, he's always asking you what you think you know he's always bringing you in he's always making such space for the reader to come along with him in that kind of humble way and when I've when I've heard him read as well he he reads in a way that he's almost astonished that anyone's bothered to turn up and listen yeah. to him yeah, which is just wonderful, you know. Um, and the one, the last thing I'll say is um, you can't hear it um, when we read the poem, but the remarkable thing, the other remarkable thing about this poem is that they're in three-line stanzas, but the last line is on its own. So, and though far-fetched, it won't be too far wrong, is on its own. And I think that's really, for someone who cares so much about every word and form, it's really important in Zaffer's work. So I think it's signaling that sometimes we are on our own, you know, that we're sticking, he's either sticking his head out or we are on our own. So at times we're with others. And then that last line is standing out on its own, waiting for us to join it in a way. So I love formally how he's doing what he's, what I think he's trying to say, or part of what he's trying to say in this poem. But we'd love to hear what you think about it too. It's a beautiful poem um, and it will be on our website so you can go and read it at openbookreading.com. But there's so much more we could say about this poem. We could have done the whole session on this poem. But thank you, Zafar, for, for allowing us to read it and discuss it. I think that's all from us today. And we'll really look forward to being with you again next month. And thank you for having us in your ears. Bye.